0: Would you please turn with me to your study outlines, and as you're turning, let me welcome those of you that are watching online. We are so glad that you are with us, and we have an annual tradition here at PFB Purpose Church, and that is our annual Super Bowl poll, okay? And what we do is we have a Bible verse for each of your teams, and this is the one time of the year when it's okay to retch verses out of context. We normally frown on that kind of thing at our church, but this is the one time uh, that we do allow it. So let's start. How many of you are rooting for the Denver Broncos today? Let me see your hands. Okay. Here's your Bible verse. It's Job 38 verse 19. Do you give the horse its strength or clothe its neck with a flowing mane? I believe in the original Hebrew, it's an orange mane. I think that's not true. That's a lie. But at any rate, okay, there's your verse. Now just seven verses later, In Job 39, verse 26, how many of you are rooting for the Seattle Seahawks? Let me see your hands. Okay, there we go. There we go. Okay, here's your verse. It is by your understanding that the hawk soars and sprays his wings toward the south. See, Denver is south of Seattle. See that? Okay. I, I, I know. I know. Hey, it's the Seahawks. What do you think I was going to come up with? This is really hard. So, uh, um, you know, I know New York. New York is still kind of south, isn't it? Now that I look at the map a little bit. So there's your Okay, how many of you couldn't care less who wins today? Let me see your hands. Okay, here's your Bible verse. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things. Everybody can agree with that, right? Okay, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. Now, if you turn to page 5... Uh, there in your program, you'll see that we have something for all three groups at our Super Bowl party this afternoon, okay? Something for all three. If you're into football, we got it for you. If you're into godliness, as all of us are, obviously that's our highest priority, we got something for you. You'll see there on page five that we're having our Super Bowl party at Purpose Church in Claremont. Uh, There'll be uh, things available there, hot dogs and beverages, but if you'd like to bring a a dessert or or a side to pass, that would be great too. There'll be chairs there, but if you want your own chair, you can lug like your big one in the TV room, you know, your big couch or whatever. No, you can bring up folding chairs, something like that. It might be a little more comfortable than the chairs that we have there. But we'd love to see you for the first half. There's activities for the kids. If you don't have plans, love to have you come. Uh, maybe you've got a friend that doesn't have plans. Bring them along. It's a great informal way to show that Christians are real people in a way uh, to connect with them in that way. Then from five to six, we'll have our regular service. So even if you don't come to the Super Bowl party, come on to the service if you normally do that uh, from f- from five to six, which is roughly uh, during halftime. And then after halftime's over, then we'll head back and watch uh, the second part of the game, second half of the game after our service is over. So we'd love to see you. You know, Pastor Jay was reminding me uh, of something I'd forgotten. Last time we had a Super Bowl party, I think it was like eight or nine years ago. How many remember when we used to have the North Point service up at the Doubletree on Sunday nights and it was five to six, so we had the same thing because the Super Bowl always starts 3.30 Pacific time. And so we had a service there and in the back of the hotel, there was a bar. And all of a sudden, partway through our service, all these people from the bar came out and joined us in our worship service. And we're like, what's that about? Well, the bar had hired a group of exotic dancers during halftime. And so some of the people were offended by that, so they came and joined us in our worship service. Now, I don't know what's going on at First Baptist Church of Claremont this evening. I'm not sure. But, you know, they, they could be uh, driven over to us if, uh, if that's the case. Um, I, I like both teams. I honestly do, but I'm, I am rooting for the Seattle Seahawks. And so at any rate, uh, I was going into where I work out and they have this running scroll. They have a screen up there and they do the top highlights of the sports news along the bottom. So I can stand there for 60 seconds and catch up on sports. Well, I came in and there's one where you check in. I just caught a glimpse that this prognosticator, this guy that really has picked, the, correctly, his name was Ape or something like that, had picked the right Super Bowl champion six years in a row, and they were wondering if he was going to get the seventh straight year, and he had picked the Seattle Seahawks. So I'm like, oh, that's awesome. That's very exciting. So then I got into where I worked out, and then I could stop and stand and see this scroll, and it came back around again. And it wasn't a prognosticator named Ape. It was an ape who had made the choice. <laughs> Each year, they put like a like a Denver banana and a Seattle banana in front of him, whichever one he chooses. He's been right for six straight years, and he picked the Seahawks, but that didn't encourage me all that much. So, okay, let's continue with the story. Title of today's study is Rules of Engagement. Here's the main idea. The big idea of the whole story is God's declaration, I want to come down and dwell with you. That's what the story's all about, is God connecting with us in relationship. God continues to say, in effect, for me to live with you, three things must be worked out. And these are gonna seem like three you know, disparate or different or random things. We're gonna see how they come all together in Jesus. The first we're gonna look at is the 10 commandments and then the uh, Old Testament Jewish tabernacle and then the Jewish sacrificial system and how it brings it all together and points to, uh, points to Jesus. Now, God gives guidelines for how we treat God and each other in the 10 commandments. Now, all three of these things, are going to happen on Mount Sinai. So if we could put the map up there, and you'll see the three different possible locations that archaeologists believe where Mount Sinai uh, could be. One of them is there, the first circle on the left, uh, and that is uh, the northern part, or middle part of Mount of Sinai, the Sinai Peninsula. That's one possibility. The other one here to the right, lower right, that one is in what is today southern Jordan or northwestern Saudi Arabia. But probably the best one is the traditional one. The traditional one is. In in the south part of the desert of Sinai, that's the traditional location for Mount Sinai, and actually, archaeologists believe that's probably the best location. One of the best memories I have with my two sons, Andrew and John, is uh, getting up in the night and in the dark hiking to the top of Mount Sinai to see the sunrise from the summit of Mount Sinai. That's one of our great father-son moments that we remember. Now, the first of these things, all of them happen there, but the first is the Ten Commandments. Now, we're going to take. Uh, a pop quiz right now, and on the count of three, I'm going to have you turn to the person next to you, and you're going to say in order uh, the first five of the Ten Commandments, and then they're going to respond with numbers six through ten. I'm just kidding; we're not going to do that. How many knew that you could be that terrified in church? How many? You know, uh, I, I would be terrified as well, so don't don't feel bad at all. Now uh, they are to do two things: first of all, to guide us in the proper way to live, but also to convict us. You see, there are two types of people. There's some type of people, they know they need a savior. We know we need forgiveness because our mess ups are big and, and they're obvious. And we're like, you're like the prodigal son in the story of the prodigal son. We're like, oh my goodness, I know I need a savior. I need forgiveness. But then others are like the older brother in that story who kind of thought he was all that. And, and, you know, we think, you know what, I'm not that bad of a person. I'm no Adolf Hitler, you know. And so I'm a pretty decent average person. I'm not perfect, but I'm better than the guy or the gal down the street. And so that's why we need the 10 commandments because they're like a mirror. You see, I think I'm a pretty good looking guy until I look in the mirror, you know, And, and then you look in the mirror and you know, sometimes after a Sunday I'll walk in, my daughters love to tease me this way. They love to torture their dad. And I'll walk in to lunch after church and one of my daughters will say, dad, who told you that? went together, you know, and I'll be like, what are you talking about? And they're just kidding, you know, some of the time, most of the time, but you know, or you look in and you'll see that my one hair was out of place or yeah, you look in the mirror and you got something between your teeth or whatever. So a mirror shows you what's not right, what's imperfect. And the 10 commandments are like a mirror for our soul to make us realize we need a savior. We need forgiveness. We need mercy. We need grace. I mean, let's just do it for a few minutes. Uh, look at the first commandment there, skipping down to verse 3 in Exodus chapter 20. You're to have no other gods before me. Have I or you, have you ever loved anything more than God? Well, I certainly have on multiple occasions. Well, I've broken the first commandment. Uh, how about down in verse 7? You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Have, have we ever used God's name in a loose manner? Oh, better believe we have. I mean, the phrase, oh my God, how prevalent is that? I mean, it's so prevalent, OMG is an abbreviation that we all know uh, because we use it so loosely or we put equivalents in, in place of it. So boy, I've broken the third commandment. Uh, you skip ahead to verse 12, honor your father and your mother. When you were a teenager, a child, were you ever disrespectful to your parents? I was, how about you shall not murder now jesus expanded this it says not just killing somebody he says if you're angry enough with a person that you could kill him that's something uh, that has broken that commandment so there's another one i've broken on multiple occasions how about you shall not commit adultery Jesus expanded this too to say if you ever look lustfully at other other person, you look at them and you don't see body, spirit, and soul. You don't see that person as a complete person. Instead, you just objectivize them. You you see them merely as a body uh, and and lust in that way. Oh my goodness, we've we've sinned on that one all the time. Uh, How about you shall not steal? You ever fudged on our income taxes or fudged in any way to take money from another person or even from the government or from a business? Well, we've broken that one. How about you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor? Have I ever exaggerated something or minimized something, the truth, to my own advantage? Oh, boy, I've broken that ninth commandment. How about the last one? You shall not covet. You ever looked at something somebody else has and says, I wish I had it and they didn't? Well, how many times have we done that? I'd ask for a show of hands, but I think we'd all be up on that one. And so I've broken the 10th commandment as well. So do you see where the the 10 commandments is like a mirror? And when I hold it up to my heart, I'm like, oh, I need forgiveness. I need a savior. I need grace. I need forgiveness. Now, you can flip it around positively to show us how to live as well. Should we live as if God's number one in our lives? Yeah. Should we be careful with how we use God's name? Yeah. Uh, Should we show honor and respect to our parents, even when they don't deserve it? Yes. Shall we love people rather than wanting to murder them? Yes. Uh, Shall we, when we see people, instead of lusting after them and looking at them as an object and just a body, should we see that? That guy or that girl is a son of God or a daughter of God, a sister in Christ or a brother in Christ. See them as not just a body, but a spirit and soul as well. Yes. Instead of stealing, should we be generous, uh, giving to people in need? Yes. Uh, instead of twisting the truth, should we work at telling the truth? Yes. Uh, instead of coveting, should we be thankful for what um, we have God's given us and even be thankful for what he's given somebody else? And so it can be spun positively as well. You see, God wants a community of love that reflects the relationships of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He wants our community of believers to reflect the community between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, The Ten Commandments shape the community of love. He He gave the Ten Commandments not as a killjoy or a spoil sport. We often think, oh, the Ten Commandments, that's just God up in the sky killing a good time. Hey, you down there having fun, cut it out. No, the Ten Commandments are given to protect us so that everybody around us has full respect and dignity and feels loved and gives love. Commandments one through four guide how we treat God in our vertical relationship. And Commandments five through 10 guide how we treat each other in horizontal relationships. Now, let me ask you a question. Does our sin nature resist God's guidelines? Anybody want to say amen to that? We chafe against sin these guidelines. We forget them. Uh, When we're in the moment, we forget what they are. It's so easy to forget. A man had 50-yard line tickets for the Super Bowl. As he sits down, a man comes down and asks if anyone is sitting in the seat next to him. No, he says, the seat is empty. That's incredible, said the man. Who in their right mind would have a seat like this for the Super Bowl and, and, and not use it, the biggest sporting event in the world, and not use that seat? He says, well, actually, the seat does belong to me. I was supposed to come with my wife, but she passed away. This is the first Super Bowl we haven't been together since we got married in 1967. Oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. That's terrible. But couldn't you find someone else to use it, like a friend or a relative or even a neighbor to take the seat? Man shakes his head. He says, no, they're all at the funeral. Okay, that's a terrible joke. That, that is like <laughs> such a bad, uh, terrible joke. But, but we tend to forget so quickly, don't we? And we forget in the moment what God's commands are. Uh, here's the good best example. While Moses is away getting the Ten Commandments, Aaron, meanwhile back at the ranch, is building a golden calf, and the people worshiped it. So while Moses is on Mount Sinai getting the second commandment, you're not to make any graven images and no idols. uh, Meanwhile, back at the ranch, they're building an idol and worshiping it. Now, if you turn to the next page of your study outline, you'll see the lamest excuse in all of human history. This has got to be the worst, lamest excuse ever given, okay? Uh, He said, Moses said to Aaron, what did these people do to you that you led them into such a great sin? Do not be angry, my lord, Aaron answered. You know how prone these people are to evil. They said to me, make us gods who will go up before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. So I told them, whoever has any gold jewelry, take it off. Then they gave me the gold and I threw it into the fire and out came this calf. <laughs> are you kidding me, you know? Only a brother would try to voice that on another brother, you know. Out came this calf. Now, here's the main point of the Ten Commandments. It's found in Romans 3, verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory, the perfect standards of God. Anybody want to say amen to that? Let's read it out loud, as a matter of fact. Out loud together. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So first, we've got the Ten Commandments. It's like a mirror. It's like, man, I fall short God, I've made mistakes. I've messed up. Okay, And now we're going to move to the tabernacle. Other things that were given to him beyond the Ten Commandments, there was more that was given to Moses on Mount Sinai. Now we move to the tabernacle. God desires a place to dwell among us, the tabernacle. This literally means a place of dwelling, or it was a tent. There was kind of a portable sanctuary where you could kind of take the sanctuary like we're in right here and move it as they went through the wilderness, kind of like they tear it down like in a camping trip and then put it back up again once they were at their new location. And he gave them details about it in Exodus chapter 25. God gave specific directions for the making of the tabernacle. Look at verses 8 and 9. Then have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. Now here's a picture of how somebody put it together as to what it would look like. And this is very close according to the dimensions found in Exodus 25 as to what the tabernacle would look like. Now, the whole point of the tabernacle is that God wants to be in a personal relationship with us. He wants to dwell with us. That was the whole point of the Garden of Eden. He wanted to have a relationship, dwell with us. The whole point of the tabernacle, the whole point of uh, Solomon's temple that he built about 500 years later as a permanent tabernacle there in the heart of the city of Jerusalem. But really, that was not God's ultimate goal. His ultimate goal is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple? He eventually wants to dwell in our hearts, He wants to walk with us and talk with us on a daily basis and that God's spirit dwells in your midst. Now, here's the dilemma. We've got imperfect me on one side as revealed by the Ten Commandments and then perfect or holy God who wants to dwell with us in the tabernacle. Now, how, how can that happen? Because God is holy and I'm not. Okay, here's the third one. God requires that sin be atoned for or covered by the shedding of blood. Now, this word atoned, if you have a pencil or pen, put a slash mark between the T and the O, and between the E and the D. And this is a great way to remember it. Atoned means at one. Or the word atonement, at one meant God did this sacrifice so that we could be at one with him, and so that our sin could be covered. Now, we've been seeing clues in the early part of the story that eventually are going to reveal where the story is going to end up. It's like a good movie or a good novel or a good book or any good story. It gives you clues at the beginning, and then at the end, all the clues begin to come together. Now, the clues here are in the book of Leviticus. Now, from, we've been talking about the upper story where God has his master plan and his perspective. And then we live in the lower story where things get really confusing and we don't know God, what God's up to. And no better illustration of this than the book of Leviticus. From the lower story, the book of Leviticus is just the most boring book in the Bible. Okay? I mean, that's why we often say this is an exception to this as we go through the story. Usually, I will tell people that just first come to Christ, start with the New Testament. Start with the New Testament, the story of Jesus. And I would have you tell your friends when they first come to Jesus, start with the New Testament, okay? Because what happens is people start in the beginning of the Bible, because you usually start at the beginning of a book, and they Genesis is okay, and Exodus is kind of interesting, and then they hit the desert of Leviticus. And then they're like, oh, goodness, this is just very boring stuff. I just can't confuse it. But now when you see the lower story, book of Leviticus, from the lens of God's upper story, it becomes the most interesting book in all the Bible. And I don't know if any of you remember, I did a series on Leviticus a number of years back. From an upper story perspective, the book of Leviticus is all about Jesus. It's, it's basically a Jesus, 1500 BC, a foreshadowing of Jesus... And I, I probably, that was probably the most popular series I've ever done, is that series on the book of Leviticus. got more positive feedback than any other series because when you see it from the upper story, it is absolutely fascinating. From the lower story, it's boring. Now, the sin nature is the main thing that keeps us separated from God. Each one of us has a sin nature. Sin must be dealt with, covered, or what the Bible calls atoned for, at one. Uh, through the sacrifice that was done. The sacrificing of animals becomes institutionalized in the priestly sacrifice system so that sin could be constantly atoned for or covered. Now, this whole sacrificial system in the Old Testament where they they sacrifice animals, you know, lambs and other animals for the forgiveness of sin, this seems so barbaric to us. This seems so foreign to us. But we've got to be careful not to judge 1500 B.C. culture from 3,500 years later. You see, for them, they were a hunting culture. They were involved in raising and slaughtering animals on a daily basis. This would be nothing to them. This was an ordinary part of their life. And so this is actually a beautiful symbol that God gives them of what was to come in Jesus. Because you see, these animals, a perfect lamb would be seen as innocent. Innocent doesn't deserve this. And when you say, I am placing my sin on this lamb, and this lamb is being sacrificed instead of me to take my sin on it, they would have totally gotten that. That, that would have fit perfectly in their culture. It would have been very natural for them. To us, we look back on it, and it seems kind of bloody and, and, and kind of cruel and Neanderthal. But for them, it was totally natural. But it was not supposed to be the real thing. It merely foreshadowed or symbolized. The real thing that was to come later. The new nation needed their sins covered so that God could dwell with them. And here's God's goal for every human being all through history. The Lord replied in Exodus 33, verse 14, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. You know what God's goal is for your life? Is that his presence go with you on a daily basis and that he will give you rest. He wants to walk with you. He wants to talk with you. He wants to have a personal relationship with you. His goal is that my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Jesus said, come unto me, all you that are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And when you walk in his presence, he gives you rest. It doesn't mean you're always, you don't have trouble. We have plenty of trouble. But you have his presence in the midst of the trouble. You have his rest in the midst of that trouble. Does anybody want to say amen to that? Now, here, like I said, when you've got a good story, you've got all these little clues at the beginning of the movie or the beginning of the novel, and all of a sudden, in the conclusion, they all come together. And it's so cool. If it's a good story, you're like, oh my goodness, that random, bizarre detail from earlier on, all of a sudden, it comes together in a grand conclusion. And the book of Hebrews in the New Testament Hebrews, meaning the Jewish people, is meant to be a Bible commentary on the Old Testament book of Leviticus and other things within the Old Testament. And so what's happening is the writer of Hebrews is now from an upper story perspective telling us what all the bizarre stuff in the book of Leviticus really meant and what it all comes together in the conclusion of the story. So here's what I want to do as we finish off and prepare to receive the Lord's Supper. I, I'm just going to read it, not going to make any commentary on it. Just let the scripture speak for itself. Hebrews 10, verses 1 through 18. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Otherwise, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshipers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer feel guilty, have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, Christ, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice an offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased. Then I said, Here I am. It is written about me in the scroll, I have come to do your will, my God. First, he said, sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings, you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, though they were offered in accordance with the law. Then he said, here I am, I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Day after day, The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First, he says, this is the covenant I will make with them after that time, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. Then he adds, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. And all God's family said, Amen. See how it all comes together? See how, like, if you skip ahead to the end of a book and you didn't read the first part of it, you don't completely understand the end? And if you're at the beginning, you don't understand the end? Do you see how knowing about the Jewish sacrificial system and the tabernacle and the Ten Commandments helps you understand that passage in Hebrews? And reading that passage in Hebrews helps us to understand how God pulls it all together, foreshadowing the coming of Jesus 1,500 years later. He says he's going to dwell with us and he's going to write his law on our hearts. Not on stone, but he's going to write them on our hearts. And Jesus came along and Jesus said, look, two laws and you'll naturally obey the Ten Commandments. Love God and love other people. If you love God, you'll naturally tend to keep commandments one through four. If you love other people, you'll keep commandments five through ten. So here's what Jesus said. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And Jesus said, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. disciples. This is how everybody will know that you're a follower of Christ if you have love for one another. The Ten Commandments written on our hearts. God dwelling not in a tent but in our hearts because of the sacrifice of Jesus. And that's what we're going to honor right now. Uh, The atonement, the fulfillment of the Old Testament sacrificial system comes in Christ. And so on a regular basis, usually the first Sunday of each month, we take the bread that reminds us of his body given for us on the cross. We take the cup as a reminder of his blood shed for us, not a lamb from years ago, but that lamb foreshadowed the lamb of God, Jesus. And by his blood, we will have atonement at one one between us and God. Now, everybody's welcome to share the Lord's Supper with us. You just need to know that you've received Jesus as your Savior and Lord, that you're a follower of Christ. You say, Glenn, I don't know if I've, I've done that, or if I'd like to do it today, how would I do it? If you turn to the back of your program, On the back, you'll see three simple steps the Bible talks about. It's as simple as A, B, and C. And then there's a little suggested prayer there at the end of those three steps. And if you've prayed that prayer or something like it in the past, or if you'd like to pray that prayer today, this could be your day, February 2nd, 2014, to receive Jesus as your Savior and Lord, and then to show it outwardly by taking the cup, and by taking the bread that is a way of remembering. You know how I said that we really are forgetful? And so this is something Jesus gave us as a regular built-in reminder of the price he paid on the cross so that we could have atonement, at one between us and a holy God. So let's take just a moment and prepare our hearts to receive the Lord's Supper.